Welcome back, all you crazy kids out there. You are listening to episode 53 of Double Hot Beat. We are taking the pulse of the beer and brewing scene. I'm James, home brewer and beer enthusiast. And I'm Shannon, a beer intermediate. Today, we thought we would take you down a walk of history lane. Oh no, another history lesson from Shannon. Grab your beers, guys and girls. Yeah, but this one has to do with beer, so it's interesting. All right, this is the history I can get behind. Yeah, so we're going to talk about a little history of the brewing in Worcester, Massachusetts, which is pronounced Worcester, not Worcester, as it looks like it should. You mean Worcester? Yeah. Worcester, Massachusetts? So we recently went to visit um, a brewery there, so we figured we would delve a little deeper into how far back does beer really go in the city. But first, we want to tell you about another place we went but to this first. weekend. <laughs> so this past week, it was Father's Day, as most of you know, in the United States. Um, so we actually went to a local brewery that opened just this past year in, or in the fall of last year, I believe, t- in 2020. So during the pandemic, and that is Rushford and Sons in Upton, Massachusetts. And so we took my dad there for a little Father's Day celebration. Yeah, I think so. This brewery, Thank you, Brian, f- foremost, uh, from from the brewery for just an amazing experience, but also for getting my father-in-law, Brian, uh, yeah, away from Brian's. the big, yeah, for, away from the big craft, you know, away from the big boy uh, standard beers and into craft beer. And I think this is the one brewery that my father-in-law has just been so excited about mm-hmm. where we see him getting cans. He's constantly sending us links to what's on the brewery- their their newsletter <laughs> yeah he's on he like unbelievable father-in-law who was just a supporter of bud and just bud heavy and just everything budweiser mm-hmm. has suddenly shifted into the craft beer realm of following a craft brewery's journey very into what they're all about he's going to he did their curbside pickup multiple times throughout the pandemic and it was just amazing to see the transformation on that you guess you can enjoy your bigger beers you know your big box boy mm-hmm. beers but you know it's great to also explore those craft beers because hey you might like something else that you didn't think you would like yeah it was funny to hear him actually order a beer by its name at a brewery as opposed to being like oh it's closest to like this beer so he actually had had it ready to go it was very surprising yeah it wasn't like all right like what do you have that's close to an Allagash? Or what do you have that's close to Budweiser? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so props, uh, Brian, if you're listening right now, props to you. And props to Brian as well, Double yeah. Brian's. So, yeah, that, that barley wine, that video um, mm-hmm. you guys saw on our Instagram, was probably one of the best barley wines I've had in a long time. And I think it's one of those styles that you don't really see that often in breweries today. And actually... My great-great-grandfather used to brew barley wine. Wow. And so I've been trying to find the recipe on it, but of course, you know, they didn't have social media. They didn't have, you know, electronic. They They didn't? Oh, my God, they didn't have. What was the world? What was the world? They didn't have somewhere where they could save it electronically. Um, So those papers were probably destroyed, or it was just from memory. But my grandmother always, who's 95, happy 95th birthday, Grandma, she always talks about how he would make his barley wine and he would have it in a little five ounce taster and he would have it with his dinner. And I thought it was just great that, you know, a home brewer right there and then. So maybe tracing my lineage yeah, back roots to my, go deep, my home brewing roots. Yeah. You didn't, little did you know, they are deeply seated in home brewing. 
Yeah, so this is the first time we had actually gone to visit their tap room. We've gotten some of their beers. Um, my dad gave some to James for his birthday back in February. Um, so, but it's the first time we'd actually gone in person to check them out. And it was a nice little setup they have in their parking lot, uh, outdoor tables. And I was particularly excited because they had a pop-up book sale. Oh, so. no. And I was like, uh-oh, get out the wallet. Here comes lots of heavy books coming in our car with our stroller and everything that our daughter needs. Yeah, so uh, we went with my parents. My mom and I went over and bought some books. And my dad and James enjoyed some beers. I also had some beers. And this was the first time I've been able to sample their beers because... The last time I was housing a child, so I was no. I was you not. Were, what a way of putting that you were pregnant. <laughs> you were housing a child, so I wasn't able to enjoy anything. So this time I had the bee's knees, which was good. But I think my biggest, the one I liked the most, was the golden lion, and I also tried their old blighty. Yeah, they have a good mix of styles, I would say, and I would say like they're the one brewery where like their IPA is not the showstopper of their their brewery, which is amazing that. You know, you're opening and you don't start off with a million IPAs. You have a diversified listing Mm -hmm. of, you know, craft beverages to offer people. And it was just great to see. I I love to see those unique styles like their English bitter um, is one of my other favorites. Uh, It's just styles that you don't typically see anymore. Yeah, it's very um, European English ale house type beers, which I appreciate. But so I had the bees needs of the honey blonde, which... Again, we were talking about the diversity of blondes, and it definitely had its own little twist to it. Um, I really enjoyed. And then the Golden Lion is an Abbey-style Belgian ale, and that was delicious as well. So they really harken back to the like roots of monks and brewing in old Europe. Europe. So it was a fun time. If you're in Upton, you should really check it out or in the surrounding area. Yeah, and if you're in up the Epton area, and then you can go to Worcester, Massachusetts, because it's not yeah, too so far away. That is where we're going to be focusing today. Um, we, again, part of Father's Day celebration, um, our daughter and I took James to Greater Good in Worcester for the first time. So James, let, why don't you tell us about your Father's Day experience at the Greater Good? Well, I want to say first that on my bucket list is to see a moose. So I don't know if Shannon was trying to kill two birds with one stone because... I knew I couldn't fool you. There was a giant moose in inside the taproom of Greater Good. Um, so if you want to see a giant moose, um, go check out Greater Good. Uh, not a real moose. Not a real moose. Spoiler, yeah. Shannon. God. But then they'd have like PETA all over there. I don't want people thinking they have animals. They have like a moose They have a moose zoo. in a taproom. What's going on here? This yeah. is just crazy. There's no moose petting zoo going on. No, but so Greater Good, I've had their beers before, and they really specialize in their Imperial IPAs, um, which are awesome. And so we would frequent Bay State Brewing uh, many times in Worcester, so another Worcester brewery that Mm -hmm. uh, has emerged. So this is the first time we checked out Greater Good. Great location, plenty of parking, which is important for craft breweries because if you don't have the parking, and it's, again, about a community, you don't want to disrupt you know, your neighbors, because mm-hmm. most of the time people park in places they shouldn't, and then the brewery gets in trouble. Uh, so at least they had plenty of parking and just great layout. They had some outdoor tables, which is great if you want to enjoy a nice sunny day. And they had a beautiful tap room. It was almost like you stepped into a New Hampshire lodge mm-hmm. was their kind of vibe. So they had stone um, with poured concrete kind of tops on mm-hmm. all the, on the bar almost and like, everything. like big river rock type. 
Yeah, style. super cool. A nice mural on the wall, and mm-hmm. it, was, it was great. And a giant moose. Uh, but again, the the beers are the important thing here, guys and girls. Check out their beers. Uh, we got a couple flights. We sampled a sour because mm-hmm. I'm getting into sours now. So we had to get two samples because I drank the whole first one by accident. So. By by accident. Yeah. Yeah. By accident. <laughs> Uh, we're kind of doing a, a reverse here. So Shannon ended up going full bore on IPAs, and I'm kind of taking now another approach of sours and bitters and everything, mm-hmm. but a greater good. Uh, so their Pulp Daddy IPA I've had many times and was one of my favorites of all time, but they actually had, so they ran out of their Nelson IPA, and instead they had a collaboration with Lone Pine, the Daddy-O. And Shannon, this was probably your favorite of theirs, would you say? Yeah, this was an interesting, I wasn't expecting the flavor that I got when I tasted it. And that was vanilla. It definitely had on the back end, a heavy vanilla flavor and it was not bad. It was was not. Like I didn't, I wasn't, it didn't taste like the, that chemically vanilla vanilla you can sometimes get or like, oh, I'm eating a vanilla candle it tasted you've you've had things that you when have you no. had when have you ate a that vanilla is my, candle um, my strange addiction is eating vanilla candles <laughs> in the past 14 well, the, years i've been a closeted candle the eater. truth really comes out huh <laughs> you just never knew i just never knew habit. no but it didn't have the artificial flavoring feel to it yeah i, I, so I, I agree appreciated that i think they paired it very well with the ipa and made the bitterness a lot easier to tolerate if you're not used to the bitterness that you get in some of those pioneer and citrus IPAs. I think the vanilla really did round out that that beer and it really did mm-hmm. make it smooth and it was a higher ABV beer as well than what you typically mm-hmm. like to drink. But I think the vanilla didn't make me feel like I was drinking a higher ABV beer. I also, the one thing that I would knock against it is that it made me feel like I should be in the holidays. Like it gave me a holiday vibe. It gave you a false and we are thing of hope. Almost of like six months happy. away from Christmas. So I guess that's a happy half birthday Christmas. But You must be like the first person I think that's probably said that about a beer with vanilla in it. Why? That I don't know. That I just it's feel like, like the holidays? I don't know. I feel like that's a I feel like it's a weird thing to cross your mind in, in June. But, I don't know. I mean I guess people feel that way with coffee. You know, if peppermint mocha comes out, then people think of the holidays. But yeah, I don't know. I just to me, I guess nostalgia for me just made me feel like the holidays. But that was just my opinion. Others may differ. Yeah, that's the beauty of craft beer, James. It it truly is, and I give you kudos for trying IPAs, and that was okay. great. And they had a great layout too. Plenty of table space. Mm-hmm. It was nice and cool and inside. Um, and they still had the barriers up, yep. protecting tables. There was plenty of space between tables as well, mm-hmm. um, which I loved. Their food was great. We did the pretzel poppers and the fried pickles, as always. And then and you- I had the turkey and brie panini. Yeah, it looked really good. It was good. It had cranberry on it, too. So maybe I was just in a holiday vibe because my sandwich was very Thanksgiving with the brie, cranberry, You're just all about the holidays. Let's just face it. <laughs> I'm just, I just want to get back to normal holidays. You just want to get back to eating now those that vanilla like, candles. Yeah, that, now that we're... In the semi-normal state, I want to just get back to normal all over the place. So can't wait for those holidays to come up. <laughs> but a big shout out to Lex, our, our server. He was he yeah. was great as well. 
Um, it looked like he pretty much had the full tap room, and he was just rocking and rolling. So, mm-hmm. Lex, if you listen to this, uh, shout out, shout out to you, my friend. Yeah, definitely. So that got us thinking now that we're getting back into the brewery scene more regularly and there's less regulations that we have to follow. Um, we just started thinking about, you know, what is behind the history of beer in certain cities? So yeah. how did how did this all get started? And not just the craft beer boom, but just in general, like where, what is the history of beer in Worcester? And something to think about too, for those of you who might be traveling to Massachusetts now that restrictions are being lifted and you're looking for vacation spots or just an in-between, maybe a day, Mm -hmm. day trip. um, Or if you're going to see the Red Sox, the Woo Sox, Sox. they're no longer the Paw Sox, they're now the Woo Sox, Um, which they have a brand new stadium in Worcester, Mass. Polar Park. Polar Park. And that is drawing a lot of, I think, people who haven't been to Worcester in a long time mm-hmm. um, around and it really does highlight the amount of craft breweries now that are in Worcester Mass that you could you could hit you know on that ad- a day adventure. Yeah and I think Worcester's image is definitely changing from what it used to be. It's evolving it's becoming more developed um, and people are more willing to spend their time there like I remember growing up it was like oh Worcester's kind of like meh like oh I don't want to go to Worcester. But now I think it's getting a better rep. So I think the craft beer scene is definitely helping to bring in that younger crowd and really up their respect level. Yeah. So And so. Well, first, before we get into it, I just want to say, so I don't forget, some of our sources that we looked into for this episode are Worcestery Lesson, an article called Hopping on the Brewery Bandwagon by David Dubois, um, also an Website called oldbreweries.com. They're very creative with their name, James. <laughs> and Tavern Trove, like yeah. Treasure Trove. Yeah, and it's like some of this history you really have to dig deep yeah. to find out about. And like some of the buildings. So like one of the great things that we were talking about in the car on our way to the brewery where Shannon's like, no one wants to hear this segment, even though I know some of you love that segment of Shan James in a car going to a brewery. Uh, if you want that segment to come back, make sure you DM us. We'll make it come back. Uh, so we are having this discussion in the car about how Worcester has evolved and changed and how historic the buildings are, very Victorian style, industrial, and how up and coming it is and how many craft breweries are there now than what there were before. And it made us raise the question of, well, were there craft breweries or breweries in Worcester, Massachusetts mm-hmm. before this, I'd say like a secondary boom of craft breweries? Yeah, so... That 200 years later, there is a, a resurgence of beer in Worcester. So the history of beer actually in, in the city actually dates back to the 1800s, James. Which it makes sense because Massachusetts is a very historical ta- or city or state. Us people in uh, Massachusetts, the state, <laughs> are, very uh, are, are, are very educated and love our drinks. Okay, we love we love our alcohol in Massachusetts. Yeah, so they, Worcester actually had a company in the 1800s that distributed hops and other beer ingredients. So like one of the first distributors of beer making goodies. And then the first brewery came about in the late 1800s. So in 1883, the Bowler Brothers Limited opened in Worcester. And they were actually open until 1918. So they had a a pretty good run. But you know what affected them, James? Just the bane of everyone's existence in the early 1900s? Prohibition. Prohibition. Dun, dun, dun. It should be like a swear word or something. Um, Although, if there wasn't prohibition, we wouldn't have speakeasies and we wouldn't true, have true. 
have that kind of counterculture. Very true. So the brewery there was open until prohibition went into effect. Um, and then unfortunately they had to close, but their original beers included the Heidelbrow lager beer, the Tadcaster ale, a Bowler lager and a Porter. And in my research team, I was actually looking around and on one of the websites, I found some old ads for this beer. And I kind of was, it was kind of funny the way that old advertising worked. This is, this is where I just hear in the other room, just dying laughter, Shannon. And I'm like, what are you looking at? She's like, oh, this really hilarious beer label. I don't know if it'd be hilarious, but. Yeah, you thought it was hilarious. Well, I was just thinking it's funny now ads are almost. Changed. They're definitely changed. They're less is more, I would say on ads. And it, in the 1800s, early 1900s was like, let's put a novel on this ad. Like anybody's going to read this thing. It's a lot like, oh, let me stand here for 10 minutes reading the uh, like Bible you've put out. Ladies and gentlemen, can I have your attention, please? Yeah. (laughs) But it was also funny to read like how they describe things. So like in 1911, their Tadcaster advertisement had good health and happiness on it. So they're really promoting that beer. And you had to order from your dealer, James. You had to have a dealer? Yeah, apparently you had, well, you could oh, order from your dealer or you could go to the actual brewery and pick it up. I'm assuming by dealer they meant like distributor like we yeah. have now, but it's right. just funny to think that people would have dealers, a beer dealer. I feel like they should bring those back and just have someone who sources beer for me. But then they had ones for Thanksgiving. So it's like the old home, old home day when good cheer, good fellowship abounds. James, enjoy these good cheer beverages. And then they had like quotes from people like, none like them after all. What does that mean? mean? (laughs) None like them after all. I would think like if none like them after all, then that means that no one liked it. That's what I would think, but I guess it meant that it means there's no others like them. Yeah. Like, so they're the best is how I guess they would interpret that. But you had to put in orders because apparently the Tadcaster and the Heidelbrow went very fast and you had to get those orders in. Now, did they have the alcohol percentage or any of that on the bottom? No. You could say, yeah, I don't think, I don't think it was a requirement. Not on the advertisements. I couldn't get a clear picture of the bottles. Although you can buy, if you're really interested on eBay, a lot of people are selling the old glass bottles. But then there's also a website I found that will tell you how rare paraphernalia from each brewery in Worcester is, depending on how long they were open. So I just thought that those ads were pretty entertaining and definitely shows the evolution of marketing and advertisement, um, especially in, in uh, alcoholic products. So. so we continue our journey after Prohibition. So Prohibition ended, and unfortunately, Ballard Brothers could not make a comeback in the world of beer, so they had to close a second time. So they, they did make an effort, but just wasn't as, as popular as they were before Prohibition. So what happened in 1935 is that they actually sold their brewing equipment to Brockett Brewing. So that was the second... Like official like big brewery in the city so that's something that hasn't changed even now breweries that are no longer there sell off mm-hmm. their equipment or even if they're upgrading their equipment so it just shows that that's been part of the brewing community from day one so. definitely although i feel like brocket brewing just didn't want to do their homework because they literally just sold the same beers as bowler so i couldn't really find if the leadership or anybody from bowler was involved in um, Brockett Brewing 
to see like maybe if that's why nothing really changed or the products weren't diversified. Like that maybe much. they still had like a stake in, yeah, in the like, company. Yeah, if some of the people who owned Baller just moved over to Brocket with a different name. But they definitely didn't diversify that much. They did have a black ale, which I thought was interesting for the time. But they still had the Tadcaster, they still had pale ale, they still had a lot of the same things. So I just was curious to find out if if the people were uh, the same, but I could not, unfortunately, like James was saying, it, it took a lot of digging to find the information I was able to find. Uh, there's not a lot out there. I feel like if I actually went to a physical historical library site. or historical society, yeah. there might be more, but um, the inter- internet has failed on this leg of our journey. So bring back the paper and pen. Yeah. Please. I was like, can I get some microfiche over here? Cause that would really be helpful <laughs> for those who know what microfiche is. So after World War II, Brockett changed their name to Worcester Brewing. They just got very simple with it. They wanted people to know, like, hey, we're from Worcester and we, we brew things. I love that. Now that name's yeah. probably taken. I don't I don't know. I, I mean, there's nobody in Worcester right now called Worcester Brewing Company, so could it could come back. But they, uh, yeah, they did start diversifying their offerings, and they produced what was called the Duggan, I'm going to say Duggan because it's D-U-G-A-N. And so it was called the Duggan Extra Fine Ale. And it was a departure from the high alcohol Brocket Ale. So Brocket Ales were higher alcohol content. And this was kind of like the the lighter beer of the Worcester area. So they sold Duggan Extra Fine Ale. And then that actually, after they closed in 1965, so they had a pretty a pretty good run as well. So after they closed, they sold the Duggan name and the product was bought out and carried on by Narragansett. Gansett, yeah. you say. So it has made, you know, a long history all the way to, to Gansett. Oh, you gotta love those Gansetts. Uh, my dad talked about Gansetts oh, all, sure the, all their days when they... You know, save the Anheuser-Busch dog when they were driving through the rich neighborhood. With their gansets, they saved the Anheuser-Busch dog. That seems like a conflict of interest. Yeah. <laughs> so there were, for a few other breweries that operated in Worcester from the late 1800s through the early 1900s, but unfortunately they were only open for a year or so. So not much there. They didn't really survive, which is not surprising. I'm not sure how big of a demand there were when you could just go to, you know, the tavern and get whatever schlop they were out there. <laughs> yeah, I was also seeing that the original bottling and warehouse uh, building of that brewery is still that visible. You can still, when you drive down the street, you can still see it still says bottling and mm-hmm. distribution or something. Mm-hmm. And that's the original location. And I think that's really cool that it's still there today because I know Worcester's really big into preserving the mm-hmm. historical Victorian era buildings and World War II era buildings, you know, that brick, you know, brick building style, which is so cool to see. And it gives it that historical vibe. But now that we have an influx of, you know, revitalization of the city, you're getting all these amazing businesses in those spaces. And it's just a great vibe to have. Yeah. And on that old breweries.com website, you can actually look and see like where they were located within the city. So they'll tell you like what street they're on. So if you're, and I, I'm pretty sure they have other cities, not just Worcester on there. So you can, if you're interested in your own city, go look up, see where old breweries were located. Yeah, I know, Shan, like you're very big into the history of the locations we go to, especially in Boston area, mm-hmm. which is very historical uh, where we're from and the Worcester area. It's, it's just something that adds another element. So if you're with somebody that might not, drink beer necessarily or be about the brewing scene uh, you can get them involved with 
you know, a historical tour of the city or things around where these craft breweries seem to sit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was glad to see that there was a good history of beer in, in Worcester. And so today there's several different breweries. As we've talked about before, there's Bay Estate, there's Wormtown, there's Reader Good, where we went to the other day. But there's also a place called Three Cross Fermentation Cooperative, which I thought was very interesting, James. And I know we've heard of them in the past, but we haven't really talked about them at all on the show. And they're actually a community-owned brewery. So they are owned by their customers and their employees. And each owner has an equal vote in what happens. So they're able to have a say in what's going on, what's being brewed. And actually, once a quarter, a member is chosen to design and brew a beer. And they can be as involved as possible they want to be so they can either you know pick the style make the recipe actually physically brew the beer or they can just say hey I want to make a blonde ale and then the you know the cooperative goes and and does that so I thought that was something very unique to the city and I think it speaks to kind of Worcester's like funky eclectic cooperative background um, and kind of vibe so they um, don't take any tips for themselves. They actually donate all their tips to charity. They're very sustainable. Uh, they donate those to organizations who are addressing the critical environment impact, so climate, food, land. They also offset all 100% of their electrical use um, by the wind farms in Massachusetts. And so they're very um, conscious of their sustainability, which is also something that we're you know, really on the lookout for. And then they have actually three beers that you can go enjoy. One's a bourbon barrel aged imperial stout. They have the black is beautiful stout and they also have a Belgian strong ale and they don't distribute much outside Worcester. So if you are going to Worcester and you want to check this out, yeah, you definitely should go check them out because they're one of those breweries you're not going to be able to get outside of the city really. So it's just a unique experience to go and have there. So I thought that was very interesting. Something unique to the city. Now, you found something interesting, James, when we were doing this research that you thought was kind of disgusting. And that was what they used to drink as a cocktail. Oh, yeah. this, this In the uh, 1600s. <laughs> that's because it has eggs in it, like raw eggs, that I was just like, nope, nope, not for me. Yeah, so that is a flip. What is a flip? A flip? A flippy floppy? A flip is a cocktail that they used to make with beer. So it was actually when we started looking into the history of of Worcester, obviously they, you know, kind of started about the history of beer and what it was like in the in colonial era and colonial times. And so they talked about this flip cocktail and I was like, what the heck is a flip? Like you're flipping someone off, like are you flipping a coin? Like what is this? So we looked it up and it is a mixture of beer, rum and sugar, which, which to me sounds like a stomach which, ache waiting to happen. To me sounds wonderful until Ugh. though that raw egg gets added into it. And that's where you lost me, but I think I'm, we're going to have to make this and we're going to have to make a video. And you're going to drink it with the egg in it? And I'm going to drink it. Yeah. So as the drink evolved, egg was added to it. And they basically made it by heating up the beer, which again, ugh, to me, it does not sound great. Hot beer. No, thank you. But once it was near boiling, they put the ale into another mug with the rum, the spices and the egg. So the egg actually got cooked. It wasn't just a slimy egg in there. Like it was a cooked egg, kind of like an egg cream for those who know what an egg cream is. But they pass it back and forth between the two jugs to make it like nice and frothy and creamy. And then once that was done, I feel like this is like they were like showboating here. So they're like they got this nice frothy, creamy drink. And then they took a hot iron. This is like one of those like fancy, like you got to go to a fancy cocktail bar for this thing. But they took a hot poker from the fire and they would 
put it in the drink and that would further mull it and froth it or flip it. And that's why the name flip is on the drink. And that was what you had. So in the late 1800s, there's actually 14 recorded recipes, but every establishment had their own twist. So they would make it a different way depending on where you went. Yeah, I almost feel like this this drink wasn't only because of they tended to drink all the time, all day, whether it was morning, noon, or they night. They got to get their their meals in their drinks, Jans. Yeah, they got to get that protein. That, they have to get that sustenance, Jans word of sustenance, one of her favorite words. Uh <laughs> And that's how they had it. And I almost feel like this drink was made out of, all right, we have some beer, we have some rum, we have some sugar, things that are all local and that they all produce. Or they had a you know a, a good amount of it around that then they were like, let's make a... I feel like some it. drunk guy went into the kitchen one night. And just poured and all the taps like, and was yeah, like, this and is was the best beer ever. Doing like that thing you see as a kid at McDonald's or Burger King well, if you've put all the soda in one cup. I feel like someone just went in and was like, this sounds great. And then everyone was like, yeah, and just started drinking it. Maybe. And that's, I feel like that's how it came about because who would think to do this? Well, Not someone I. did. <laughs> so clearly, I mean, you get a flip. Yeah. They're flipping for this flip and flip, flip. And I, I don't think you need to do the hot iron poker. I think that was just unique to that recipe, right? It's not unanimous. That no, they that had to was put how they did in. it. They heated up a hot iron. Because originally that was like, that was how it flipped because it made it like frothy and mold and actually gave like this like burnt, like I'm saying like if texture. you were to remake the drink Oh, today, now probably not. You could just use your nice like We are frother. not a 1600s like barkeep that's going to get their hot <laughs> poker if they just used to cauterize someone's wound to froth your drink. Like I, I'm pretty sure in modern day you do not need to put something hot inside of it. Like no hot pokers were used in the making of this drink. I mean, we'll have to do the two and compare. The <laughs> I mean, taste, I guess you could right? if you really wanted to, but it just sounds dangerous. And given your history, I would advise against it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you'd advise against the flip? Against you using hot pokers and things that could sear your Things skin. that are going to go horribly wrong yes, here. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think Worcester is one of those cities in Massachusetts that has really turned around and you have that history you have you have the revitalization of that city and there's things to do in the city there's great dining there's very like small little independent you know bars and shops mm-hmm. and things that you can take you know take there's a table talk pie factory so you should all go get some pie you can get some pie. as james says i am very concerned about sustenance yes you can get some pie you can go to watch a a baseball game yep, baseball Hockey, you can do it all, folks. Hit a show, catch a show. You can see my girl, uh, Becky. Yeah, you can do a multitude of things in Worcester. Well, I hope you all enjoyed our brief history of Worcester beer. Or Worcester, what did you say? What did you say, James? The Worcester, Worcester. beer. The Worcester, the Worcester beer. The Worcester, Worcester beer. A Worcester beer. <laughs> That's my horrible Boston accent that I don't usually have. <laughs> And we want to thank you all for listening to this week's episode. And as an independent podcast, your support means we stay that way. So please follow us on Instagram at Double Hot Beat Podcast. Tag your friends on your favorite posts and episodes. And also rate and review us on your podcast 
streaming service, whether it's Apple, what all those, Spotify. Google, Spotify, Pandora, wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate it, and it helps us get new listeners and get our name out there. So thank you very much for taking the time. And if you are a home brewer or a craft brewer looking to get the name out there in your local craft brewery, uh, DM us on our Instagram as well. Yeah. And this has been Double, Double Hot Beat. Beat. Catch, Catch you on, on the brew side. side.